0: Welcome to the Destiny Youth Podcast. Destiny Youth is the youth ministry of Destiny Church based in Glasgow. Thanks for listening. All right, so this past weekend, Pastor Andrew started talking about fasting. How many of you were here this past weekend? Raise your hand. Great. How many of you know what fasting is? Raise your hand. How many of you don't know what fasting is? Great. So fasting, simply put, is denying the flesh and feeding the spirit. One thing to remember, don't make it religious. So what do I mean by that is when you make your fast religious is you're doing it out of the sake of a practice. You're doing it out of the sake of, Somebody told me to, and so I'm just doing it. The priest said do it, so here we go. But Jesus actually condemns this type of fasting. He says, don't be like the Pharisees who religiously say, oh, yeah, we're, we're fasting. And then they would put ash on themselves, and they'd put makeup on to make themselves look more gaunt. And then they'd go out in public and be like, oh, Oh, man, I'm suffering. Doing it for the fast. Fasting for God. Look at how holy I am. So I'm way better than you people because I haven't eaten in four days. I'm amazing. Just how gaunt my face is. Jesus says, don't do this. Don't be weird. Don't go out and make your fast weird and all about you. I've seen people do that before. It's nonsense. You can tell people you're fasting without being weird. Like if you go, to somebody's house, and they're like, hey, do you want some crisps? It's all right, I'm fasting. Thanks. Doesn't have to be weird. So let's look at some biblical fasts. The first one is the full fast or the absolute fast. So what this is is there's no food, no water, nothing. Most of the time, these are very short. Uh, Esther did this, a three-day absolution fast, no food, no water. We also see in uh, the book of Acts, it happens again, we see it with Paul. When Jesus appears to Paul and he blinds him, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. That could have been from the shock of seeing Jesus. But you also have to remember that this guy was very religious, And so it would make sense for him to, for three days, fast to try to figure out what just happened. Next is a water fast, having only water. So you have Jesus doing this for 40 days, King Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah. This one's difficult. Again, not a lot of people do long periods of this. Jesus did 40 days. It's a long time. He's also the son of God. Partial fast, not eating certain items. This is a great example with Daniel. When Daniel was brought all the choice foods from the king, all the meats and everything. And Daniel said, no, I'm not going to have your meats, sweets. I'm just going to eat vegetables. That can be a partial fast of a certain type of food. Like I'm not going to have sugar, not going to have sweets. Or I'm not gonna have breakfast and lunch, I'm only gonna have dinner. Or what I did for a fast was I'm only gonna allow myself to have one scrap of meat at seven o'clock at night and that's it, that's all the food I'm gonna have. Next is a liquid fast. This is a form of the partial fast. Uh, This is better for prolonged periods because you can still put vitamins, protein, nutrients in your body, but then your body is still processing just liquids. It's still, it's still terrible. It's, It's not fun, but it's not meant to be fun. Lastly, there's the corporate fast. This is a fast that's done in unity. That's what we're doing as a church. This is a corporate fast together over 21 days. It's what Esther did. It's what King Jehoshaphat did. They asked everyone in their people group to fast. So why is fasting important? That's a great question, because when you look at fasting, just like from the standpoint of fasting, it looks terrible. I like food. Why would I stop eating? But we see the beginning of Jesus's ministry starting with his 40-day fast. So Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, only has water. I think the reason he went to be by himself is because 40 days with no food. If one person says the wrong thing to you, it's over. They're they're dead. This year, I started the 21-day fast early. And I heard God say, do just a water fast for as many days as you can. I got to four. Now I was done. But that was my first time doing a water fast. That's another point. Don't be foolish when you do a fast. It would be completely irresponsible of me as your pastors to tell all of you fast and drink only water for 21 days. That's That's not going to be good for a growing teenager. That'd be very irresponsible of me to say it to you. It'd be irresponsible of you to try to do something that extreme. If God says for you to do it, do it. But don't do anything just because I said to do it, especially when it's something as serious as I'm only going to have water for 21 days. So Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness alone, which is the smartest choice you can make because you don't want to see people. Let me tell you something. By day four, and I kid you not, I knew I was done when I was like, I could eat a person. (laughs) Legitimately, like just a calf. It was nuts, man. I might try to go a few more days in the future, but Jesus is out having his 40-day fast in the wilderness, and then Satan comes to tempt him. And of course, because Jesus knows Scripture, he denies Satan, passes the test, his fast is complete, and then he goes out and he gets his first disciples. He starts healing people. His ministry begins after his fast because a fast brings authority that you didn't have before. It brings power that you didn't have before. And it's humbling. We'll get to more of that in a second. But look at this, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself, deny herself. If you're a follower of Jesus, raise your hand great, you're all called to fast. It's not an option. He tells you to. He says to pray, he says to fast, and he compares them as being similar things of equal importance, prayer and fasting. You're called to both. This is why the fasting aspect is so important. If you don't have the spiritual discipline to deny your own flesh, what makes you think you're going to have the spiritual discipline to deny temptation when Satan comes with it? Because here's, here's, here's the thing. Flesh is your carnal human instinct as a fallen human. It's your carnal want and desire. Temptation is when Satan comes to feed upon that carnal desire and to get you to sin. A good example is this. Drinking alcohol is not bad. Otherwise, Jesus' first miracle caused people to sin. And then he wouldn't be Jesus. He wouldn't be perfect. He wouldn't be God. And I'd be up here talking about nothing. Drinking alcohol is not bad. When you give in to your flesh when drinking alcohol, that's when it becomes a problem because the more alcohol that you put into your body, the easier it is for you to go with a temptation. That's why alcohol is not a sin, but it is a dangerous thing to play with if you cannot control your flesh it's very dangerous. So that's the difference between flesh and temptation. And this is why so many Christians in the world they keep giving in to temptation. This repeat cycle of giving in to temptation because you cannot control your flesh. What's interesting? Think back to to the garden of Eden. When God curses the the serpent, he says You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat what? The dirt, the dust. What did God form man out of? You will crawl on your belly, and you will feed upon the dust. The flesh of man is made of dust. He feeds upon your flesh. He feeds upon that desire. So when you fall into those things of the flesh and you just step a little closer, step a little closer, you're not necessarily in sin yet, but you're stepping closer to it, giving into the flesh. And then all of a sudden he comes in and he's like, hey, you've gone this far. Just take one more step. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. God won't be mad. It'll be all right. And then you take that full step in. If you don't have the discipline to stop yourself here, once you get here and there's one more step to take, you will not have the discipline to step back. That's what Satan feeds upon. That's why controlling the flesh is so important. And We live in a world that celebrates self-indulgence. It's a world that says, ah, you can be yourself. You don't have to control anything. Just give in to your desires. Give in to this. Give in to that. It's okay. It doesn't matter. But Jesus says, deny who you are. The world says, this is who you are. Give in to it. It's fine. Deny who you are. Pick up your cross. Follow after me. We have this epidemic in the world of self-worship and people just consistently giving in to the flesh over and over and over and over. And then when temptation comes, they view that as like, oh, this is good. This is a good thing. When we talk about denying the flesh, maybe several things start to pop into your head, like people who drink, people who smoke, people who do drugs, people who whatever. And it's not just that set of things. It can be anything. Whatever you self-medicate with, whatever you turn to to medicate your feelings, to medicate your thoughts that isn't God, that's what's controlling you. That's what has a hold of your flesh. Some people go home at night and they crack open a beer to relax. Some people go home at night and they crack open a a tub of Ben and Jerry's. Some people scroll through TikTok. Some people look at pornography. They want to control their own pleasure. I have a friend back in the States who he, he struggled with pornography for a long period of his life. And don't think that men are the only ones who struggle with pornography. That's silly. He struggled with pornography, gets saved, and then he has a thought one day of, you know what I can do? I could look at pictures of girls halfway clothed, and it's technically not pornography. I was giving in. To the flesh. And then he would look at that. And then all of a sudden, here comes Satan with a thought. You know, you looked at that. And Jesus said that if you just look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. So since you've done that, why not just go ahead and look at the pornography? So he would listen to that. He would look. And then the next day, he'd feel awful about it. He'd be like, oh, Jesus, I need forgiveness. But then here comes Satan again. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't wanna talk to you right now. You messed up so much and he's mad at you. He doesn't wanna hear your sob story about how you gave in once again The more that you feed your flesh, the more you are empowering Satan to come in and tempt you and then to shame you. It's a repeat cycle. That's why fasting is so important, learning to control your flesh. Another thing about fasting, yes, it was originally food, But for us to say that you can only fast food now is like saying we can only read the Torah. Because we live in a different time where, yes, it does mean food, and you should be fasting some sort of food or something. But we live in a time where there's so many more distractions now than just food. You could be fine with a food fast, And then you're like, all right, let's do it. 21 days of just liquids. This is great. And then you just go and you look at TikTok for the rest of the night. You don't engage with Jesus. You don't read scripture. You don't praise him. You're just doing an extreme diet. That's not a fast. You have to cut things out that are distractions and feed your spirit instead. That's what makes it a fast. If you're just giving up water or giving up food and and only drinking water, plenty of religions do that. Are there health benefits? Sure. But that's not the point. You have to go deeper into your relationship in order for it to work. And so if God tells you Stop playing video games for 21 days. Stop watching TV for 21 days. Obey him. Still do something with food, but obey when he tells you to cut something out that is a major distraction. The next thing that fasting does is it humbles you. I talk about it all the time. Very first sin, yell it out. Pride. And pride is the worst sin. All sin is sin. All sin is bad, but pride is the worst sin because pride is the one sin that keeps you from repenting. That's why, like, well, if, if the devil, you know, apologized and said, hey, God, I'm sorry, will you take me back? Would he go back to heaven? He can't. He can't apologize. His problem is pride. He will never apologize. He will never repent. That's why you have to kill the pride that is in your life. And fasting is the way to do it. There's a story in the Bible of the most evil king in history to the point that this was written. His name was King Ahab. Anyone know about King Ahab? Israel's most evil king. He was married to Jezebel. I'm sure you've heard of Jezebel. Servants pushed her out the window. She fell, and then King Jehu came with his horses and trampled her, and then the dogs ate her body. It's wonderful. Ahab is the most evil king. But yet he finds God's favor through fasting. It doesn't change anything about his character afterward because literally all it was was he so he gets a message from the prophet Elijah Elijah comes and says hey God has seen the evil things that you're doing he hates it he's going to destroy you there's going to be all this death in your family fire destruction Matt's going to read about this thousands of years later and be like yeah God's awesome so then King Ahab hears this freaks out Because he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to be destroyed. So then he tears his clothes, puts on peasant garments, goes and rolls in the dirt, cries, humbles himself, and fasts because he at least feared God. And he knew that this word from Elijah was going to come true. God was going to wipe this dude out. So he fasts, he humbles himself solely out of fear for God, and God shows him mercy. He says, fine, the destruction that was coming your way, it's not going to happen. He eventually died because he was a fool. Prophets told him, hey, don't go into this battle because you're going to die. And he's like, ah, you never say anything good about me. He goes into the battle and he dies. But listen to this. First of all, in, in 1 Kings, this is the description of Ahab. There certainly was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't just say that He did evil. It says he sold himself to do evil. It says because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very repulsively in following idols. Then it says after Elijah had told him, Now when Ahab heard those words of Elijah, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went around mourning. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring judgment of an utter catastrophe in his lifetime. But in his son's days, I will bring evil upon his house. This is the most evil king of Israel that ever lived but when he fasts and humbles himself, God shows him mercy. How much more grace is God gonna show you as a son, as a daughter, than he's gonna show to the most evil king? So much more, so much more blessing for you. But fasting's hard. Yeah, buttercup, it is. So is going to the gym. So studying for tests. You want to be a rocket scientist? They don't just give you that degree. You want to be able to bench press 315 pounds? That doesn't just happen overnight. Everything worth attaining is going to be hard. There's going to be moments that are difficult. Just like in fasting, there's going to be moments that are difficult. But what you're going to get out of it is so much better. And I would rather go without my phone, go without my PlayStation, go without food, and be a little bit uncomfortable for 21 days and get all that God wants to give me out of it. I would rather be a little bit uncomfortable in my life here and now and go be in paradise with the God who created me forever. We act like, oh my gosh. Well, if I'm going to have to go 21 days without food, I'm probably just going to die. No, you won't. You'll be fine. I hope the Lord doesn't ask me to cut out caffeine because if I don't have my coffee, no one's going to like who I am. However you fast, you need to use wisdom. Don't, don't pick something dumb. Don't do something easy. It's meant to push you. Don't say, oh, well, I, you know, I only eat vegetables. That's my diet. So I'll do the Daniel fast and eat only vegetables. You're not doing a fast. You're a vegan and I don't understand you. <laughs> <What's a vegan? laughs> Ask God what he wants you to fast and how he wants you to fast. Ultimately, he has the answer for you. I don't. I don't know the intricate secret details of your life like he does. I don't know what your weaknesses are. Ask him. When you cut something out, you have to replace it. Cut out something carnal, replace it with something spiritual. Again, if you're not doing it, then you're just doing a diet even with cutting out TV. If you're not replacing it with something spiritual, then you're just going without TV. Replace it. Have a plan to encounter the Lord. Come up with a plan. I'm going to read one chapter each day. This is my plan going forward. We have a devotional on the Bible app that you can connect with. Whatever it is, have a plan to connect with God in a deeper way. And the other thing, like I said, don't be religious about it. If you fail, continue. Don't just stop because you failed. If you're trying not to eat sugar and then you eat an Oreo, just keep going. Keep going the next day. When my wife and I did a 40-day fast, that was, oh, man. We were doing a liquid fast, and homegirl's in the kitchen melting ice cream so she could drink it as a liquid. It's like, I think you're cheating. But you you get that point at about day 30 where you have just (laughs) such brain fog where you don't know what you're doing, and then we're cooking dinner for the kids, and then she eats a piece of macaroni. You no, know, just like, oh, is it ready? Eat a piece. And then, oh my gosh, I've broken my fast. It's like, chill out. It's okay. Don't have a religious spirit about it. Just keep going. The next thing is to name your fast. This one is very important. What are you believing? for God to do in your life? How are you wanting to grow spiritually? That needs to be a part of the name that you put with your fast. It helps you remember why you're fasting, what you're doing it for, and then it places an expectation on God to come through with what he's gonna come through with. Not that we're doing this like even trade of, God, if I fast for X amount of time, you've gotta give me a Porsche. It's not like that. It's not a business deal, but what it is is it's for you to see what God is going to do through your fast when you're done. You're putting something out there and saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to go through this. I know you're going to come through because you're a good God. Name your fast. Lastly, I want us to look at the, the story of Esther. And most churches, Don't really talk about Esther unless it's like a women's conference or Mother's Day or some nonsense like that. Something involving women. And it's a real shame because her story is for everyone. It's a great story. People just think like, oh, and she won a beauty pageant and then she was queen. And guess what, ladies? You can be a queen too. All you got to do is love Jesus. Yay. And get out of here. There's so much more than that. I'm just going to rant for a second. If you, if you hear any teaching directed at women that's so watered down and surface level, and we're going to talk about Ruth, we're going to talk about Esther, turn it off. Listen to something else. It's ridiculous. You can't just boil down a biblical story for women solely because the, the, the person in it is a woman. Don't read a Bible story based upon your gender or the gender of the character in the Bible. It's ridiculous. It makes me mad. The story of Esther is so important. So to catch you up with the story, Esther wins a beauty pageant. She becomes queen. The King's name is King Xerxes. Esther's a Jew. And in the kingdom, there's an evil man named Haman or Haman. Haman hates the Jews. We'll get into why in a second, but he hates the Jews. He goes up to King Xerxes and he's like, hey man, listen, there are these people. They want to kill you. They don't like you. He lies because there was actually an assassination attempt on the king's life. And then Esther's cousin Mordecai alerts the king, stops the assassination attempt. But then Haman says, hey, these people, they want to kill you. It's the Jews. You need to sign this decree so that we can kill all of them and exterminate them so that you don't get assassinated. So now there's this decree that goes out saying that all of the Jews are going to be killed. Mordecai hears about it, tells Esther, and he says, you've got to go to to the king and tell him what's happening to save our people. So we're going to pick up with Esther's reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter to so that they may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king. Go gather all the Jews found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink anything for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered him. This is the part that gets skipped over all the time is Esther calls this fast. They just want to, Esther was so brave. She went into the king and she was like, listen. Didn't happen. She calls the fast. All of the people for three days fast for favor with the king. It Didn't have anything to do with Esther being a brave woman. She was a brave woman, but it had everything to do with God's favor being placed upon her because of this fast. Let's backtrack a second and talk about obedience, because obedience is the the biggest part of your fast. Like I said, ask God what he tells you to fast and then obey. Simple. When you don't obey, and this is what's so interesting, Haman, Haman, evil guy, wants to kill all the Jews. If we go back eight books of the Bible, back to Samuel, there's a king named King Saul. King Saul gets an order from God to go wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekites are this people group that worship false gods. They're always trying to kill the Jews. So God says, hey, every single one of these people all of their animals, everything, destroy it. So Saul goes, but he doesn't fully obey. They go, they attack the Amalekites, but he brings back their animals. He brings back their king. He didn't get all of them. He comes back. The prophet Samuel, who told him what God said, says, Saul, you have not obeyed. And Saul says, yes, I have. We went and we, we attacked the Amalekites. Look, I've brought back their king. And all these animals that I brought back, well, these are going to be sacrifices for God. And then Samuel says this, which pleases the Lord more, burnt offerings and sacrifices or obeying his commands? It is better to obey the Lord than to offer sacrifices to him. It is better for you to obey the Lord with what he told you to fast than offer up a great sacrifice of, I'm not going to eat for 21 days. Whatever he tells you to do, do that. What's interesting about this story, Saul doesn't obey. He brings back the king of the Amalekites named Agag, skip forward to Esther. Haman was a descendant of Agag. He was a descendant of the Amalekites. After he brings back the king, Agag, Samuel says, Saul, whatever, pulls out a sword, and then he kills Agag. But because Saul did not obey fully, the Bible doesn't say how these descendants lived, but it does say literally like two years later, oh, here come the Amalekites again. If Saul couldn't fully obey, then he probably let a bunch of people go. He didn't fully wipe them out like God said. And because of that, we now have this descendant, Haman. Wanting to again destroy the Jews. Most of you know the rest of the story of Esther. Haman's evil. He builds gallows to hang people. The first person he wants to hang is Mordecai because he just hates his guts. And then Esther holds the dinner. She goes before the king before she holds the dinner, but she goes before him. He extends the golden scepter. She's fine. She's like, hey, come to this dinner, you and Haman both. She gets favor in front of the king has the dinner and then says, I'm a Jew. Haman wants to kill the Jews. Also, he wants to hang Mordecai. Mordecai is the dude that stopped the assassination attempt on your life, and Haman wants to hang him. So then the king is like, what the heck, Haman? Hang that guy. So Haman gets hung on his own gallows, and then Esther says to the king, Mordecai is my cousin. The king then basically gives this guy a major promotion. Mordecai takes Haman's spot as the right-hand man of the king, and then he and Esther get to make laws that go out through the entirety of the Persian Empire that if anyone comes against the Jews, the Jews have every single right to defend themselves. So because of this fast, Esther gets favor, not only her, but the people around her get favor. They're promoted. They get power and authority. That's what comes from a fast. Favor, power, authority. Through the humbling of yourself. When you fast and obey God, He does incredible things in your life. And all this boils down to is just obey God.